Man, I don't know about you, but my heart is full after that set of songs right there. Uh, This morning, I hope you are, I hope you are resting in the fact that it's not your love for Christ or your grip on Christ that keeps you saved, but it's his grip on you. He will hold me fast. So, uh, man, I almost want to, I want to go back to that first song that Josh sang. I asked him to sing it. And knowing it was coming, I'm still as uh, just delighted to hear it, even more so. I'm looking forward to singing that with you all next week. Uh, Before we get into it today, I do want to make a couple of mentions of some folk that are back with us. And I know they probably don't want the attention, but uh, you all know that our sister Shirley Scholes, first off, um, had a bit of an injury several months ago, and she has spent some time rehabbing in Arizona, and so uh, in the, the best possible weather, right? Yeah. Uh, she missed all the snow, right? Missed all the snow. So she is back with us. Y'all rejoice at her return. And I know even more so, she does not want attention, but Miss Millie Hill is with us today. She also, yes, she has uh, been struggling in various ways, physically, uh, for many months, even years at this point, various battles, and I am... I am encouraged, not only just surprised to see you so early, but uh, so encouraged that you were able, that God has given you the grace and sustenance to be here and worship with us today. So we're rejoicing with you, Miss Millie. We love both of you. We're thankful for you, your ministry to us. And uh, the way I see it, we just pick up where we left off and keep on going, right? Amen, amen. Well, we're going to be in Galatians 5 today. Galatians 5, and as I was preparing, this was one of those sermons where my calendar for preaching is kind of flexible upcoming. And so as as I got into the preparation, I was like, this is one of those I'm just going to have to turn into a two-parter again. So we're going to go halfway through the sermon again today and pick up next week. So... With that, though, my conclusion is not very well thought out, as if it normally is. Uh, So forgive me if it just feels like we're coming to an abrupt stop today. But we're in a series, a brief series called Reset. And many of you have already heard me say the goal in this series is just to go back to the basics, the essentials of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. So for the past several weeks, we've covered the commitment of the disciple We've covered the corporate rhythms of the disciples of the local church. We covered the one another's, especially love one another. We covered spiritual disciplines, Bible reading, prayer, uh, fasting, those kind of things. Um, And then we covered mission last week, how the Lord Jesus sent us, his disciples, on mission to make more disciples. And so today, we're going to pick up kind of where we left off there with the Holy Spirit. You remember the text in John 20 said, uh, as the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. And then it says, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. 
Again, you, you track the New Testament and you see the Holy Spirit does not come in his fullness to bless the church and empower the church until Pentecost. So they were told by Jesus to wait. When the Spirit came in his fullness at Pentecost, he produced the church. He gave them the church. So the body of Christ takes up the mantle of disciple-making. That's the big idea from this, from this series. I want to communicate that to you. So today we're going to focus on the ministry of the Spirit. But at Pentecost, I want to go back there, read a verse to you. Peter says at the end of his sermon, <clears throat> the end of a sermon, verse 37, Acts chapter 2, it says, Now when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart. That was the work of the Holy Spirit. It said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is poured out in his fullness to indwell believers, to empower the church. So then when people repent and believe from the beginning of the church, from the beginning, from Pentecost forward, they receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells the believer. Now there is a lot of different directions that we can go with the Holy Spirit. Uh, I chose today to go to... Galatians 5, because I think it gives us a good picture of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, but also it may help us correct some wrong thinking that we typically have regarding the work of the Holy Spirit. So from Acts 2.38 onward, we see this new layer of the Holy Spirit's ministry. It rises to the surface as he brings together the body of Christ and as he indwells each believer. We must not neglect the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church. The Holy Spirit certainly is involved in the mission field, regenerating hearts, reviving hearts. But the Spirit is also active now in binding the saints together. Do you realize if you're a believer, you've been gifted by the Holy Spirit with special gifts, not for your own enjoyment, not so you can take some spiritual gifts tests and figure them out, but so that you can serve for the common good. You've been gifted by the Holy Spirit as a member of the body of Christ to serve in that way, in that capacity. But furthermore, I would argue that beyond the gifts, the Spirit has put a variety of people together for operational unity. There's a reason you're not just like the person sitting in front of you or behind you. And I would argue that is for our good. There's a reason that we have different views on different things in life and even regarding spiritual stuff. Obviously, stuff that is not of first order, top priority. But there is a good way that when we come together, we... we rub shoulders with one another, we sharpen one another, we challenge one another. We don't come together just so we can say, hey, you're right on everything and I want to support you in that. No, I want to challenge you to grow. I want to challenge you in every 
possible way. We ought to see one another as different for one another's good. The Holy Spirit does this. In the letter to the Galatians, Paul is focusing on some heavy-duty corrections for the saints. To put this in context, he's trying to redeem a very wrong, very crooked understanding of the Mosaic law. You recall in this context, there were people who said, you've got to abide by the Mosaic law if you want to be right with God. So they were teaching, they're, they're called Judaizers, we've talked about them before. They were teaching that, yeah, you heard about Jesus and you got to believe on Jesus, but you need Jesus and circumcision. Or you need Jesus and obedience to the dietary restrictions, the Jewish customs. And so they were laying a burden upon people, true believers in Jesus, and they were getting drawn away by this. They were laying this burden of the law on them. So they said, Jesus plus the law really makes you right with God. And Paul comes in and says, no, this is a gospel that is condemned to hell. It is not a gospel. So Paul is trying to redirect them, and he has some strong language. Not only does he condemn the message to hell, he condemns the preachers of that message to hell. He goes further to say, you foolish Galatians, who bewitched you? And he proclaimed to them once again, it is faith alone, in Christ alone, that brings salvation. Not of works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. That's what he says to the Romans. And he gets to the end of this, and after building his case for faith in Jesus, after building his case for relying on the Holy Spirit, you recall he said to the Galatians, he said, do you think that you, being regenerated by the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit brought you into this knowledge, do you think that somehow your flesh is going to perfect you? Why would the Spirit just get us started and then say, you're left to yourselves? No, he says that's absolutely not the ministry of the Spirit. The Spirit comes to indwell the believer. So Paul is correcting them. He's he's bringing them to a better understanding of the Mosaic law, a proper understanding, but he's also pointing them to the work of the Spirit, which brings them into a life of freedom. We're going to talk about this more today, but it's a freedom that leads them to delight in God's law. Galatians 5, beginning in verse 16, hear the word of the Lord. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, 
and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Pray with me. Father God, we ask for the Spirit's help even now as we hear from your word about his ministry. We pray, Father, that all the things we can't understand in our flesh, the Spirit would illuminate our hearts and minds to those truths, that the Spirit would help us in applying these truths and make us more like Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. title this morning is Discipleship in the Spirit. Discipleship in the Spirit. And there's been a recurring theme throughout this series. I am not trying to give you a sermon about the Holy Spirit for your own self-help. I'm trying to give you a sermon today as I have with these others that points you outward to other people. We're going to get there. So follow with me. This is surrendering to the Spirit today. The theme, the body of Christ relies on the Holy Spirit to bear the fruit of Christ-likeness. The body of Christ relies on the Holy Spirit to bear the fruit of Christ-likeness. So I want to give you this week and next week four ways the Spirit moves us forward in discipleship. Four ways the Spirit moves us forward in discipleship. Number one, first way, from verses 16 and 17, the Spirit opposes our fleshly desires. The Spirit opposes our fleshly desires. His first encouragement there from verse 16 is walk. But I say walk by the Spirit. This word walk, obviously, you know this, speaks to a, con- a continuous condition, an ongoing state. We're talking about the way of life of somebody filled with the Spirit. We're talking about the lifestyle of somebody depending, relying on the Spirit. Now, Paul recognizes here in these few verses how life in the Spirit does not jive with life controlled by the flesh. We need to understand this. Luther writes it well right here. He says, in justification, that is when God declares you righteous in Jesus upon your faith. He says, in justification, God hath stirred up in your bodies a battle. The flesh, he says, and the spirit at war with one another. As a kid, I recall playing the game. We, we lived near... A lot of new home construction when I was a, when I was a kid. Um, there'd be a lot of big, big piles of dirt when they were building up these neighborhoods. And I remember as a kid going out there with my friends, and we would play the, the game that's been around forever, King of the Mountain or King of the Hill, King of the Castle. 
And you know, you all try to get to the top, and whoever's on the top is the king. But we had all this dirt around, so we went so far as to make sure that my friends were not going to retain their position on that mountain. So on my way up, I'd be carrying dirt clods. And I would do whatever I could to dismount them from the hill and take over. It was a battle. It was a war. Do you see that if your flesh is king of the hill, the Holy Spirit is not controlling you? But if the Holy Spirit is king of the hill, then your flesh can't do what it wants. It's that simple. It's mutually exclusive. It's, it's oil and water. They don't go together. They don't mix. But Paul is very clear about our desires here, our fleshly desires. This is what the Spirit opposes. First off, corrupt desires. Our desires in the flesh are corrupt. Flesh here reminds us of our fallen condition. We were conceived in sin and carry the same rebellious nature as Adam. From our first breaths, we are bent toward the desires that Paul speaks of here. You know what the Bible says? Everyone goes his own way. That is our natural state, our natural condition. And I know some of you believers, you, you've been believers for a long time. You know this truth. You, you understand like your depravity, your sin nature. And it's easy to get to something like this and say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just, you know, wait for the next point because I got this. Like this is in my theological framework now. I understand that I'm a sinner. So move on, Matt. Tell me something else. But I would argue that one of our biggest problems, Christian, is our forgetfulness of our own corruption. He says it right here very clearly. If you are not walking by the Spirit, you are walking by the flesh. But we have in mind there's like three parties involved. We're, we're separated from this, you know. We have in mind it's, it's me over here and then I got the Holy Spirit over here, and I got the flesh over here, and I'm sort of neutral, and I got to make this choice. No, there are only two parties. It's flesh and it's spirit. This exposes a lie that we believe. We assume that we have the ability to operate independent of our fleshly desires. This is a dangerous place to be, believer. I think Paul gives us a clear warning here. I would ask you, believer, when was the last time you had a conscious thought of being filled with the Spirit? I mean, I mean, would, would, it, be, would it be a stretch to say maybe one time this week you thought about your dependence on the Spirit? Do you see how you assume that you're just good, but when temptation comes, then it's the decision? No. Right now, you are either walking according to the flesh or walking according to the spirit. I want to really drive this in, okay? If you're somebody who's dealing with the faith today, 
Maybe you're not sure if you believe the gospel. Maybe you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus. I would tell you today, at least acknowledge today that your sinful desires are feeding you every reason to turn away from Christ. And at the same time, you've convinced yourself that you're, you're giving a fair and honest evaluation to Jesus. I don't, I, don't know, I don't know any other way to illustrate this, but this is like the stumbling drunk driver who keeps on saying, Ossifer, I promise I'm good to drive. Do you see? That is our fallen condition. You are under the influence of your flesh, the control of your flesh, and you can't get outside of that to make any honest decision. You are controlled because your desires are corrupt in every way. But your desires are also insatiable. Insatiable. The flesh seeks constant gratification. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It's always wanting something. But the Spirit keeps you from doing the things that your flesh wants to do. These are insatiable desires. You can't keep feeding it, feeding the flesh, and expect it to stop being a problem for you. Your flesh must be starved until it is perpetually weakened. And Luther says here, you must bridle it and subdue it. So when Romans 6 tells us, reckon yourselves to be dead to sin, this is what it's talking about. Being in Christ, hear this, we have definite, lasting victory over sin. Christ has overcome the problem of sin. But you see, only in the spirit is sin's power subdued moment by moment by moment. I know you know what it's like to try to deal with your flesh apart from the ministry of the Spirit. You can't do it. You can't control it. You try to tame it, but you end up finding a way to feed it. You go from one measure of gratification and you say, oh, I can give this up anytime I want. And you know what you do? You exchange it for a different one. If it's not a vice of some sort, It's pride. One early church father, Jerome, records his struggle trying to subdue the flesh in his own strength. Now, I want to be clear. Before I quote him, this is somebody who has given his life to fighting the flesh. You remember several weeks ago, we talked about asceticism, how people will deprive themselves of things just so that they can express their devotion to Jesus, here's what he says. Listen listen to the way he describes it. I know you can recognize this. His confession. Oh, how often 
have I thought myself to be in the midst of vain delights and pleasures of Rome, even when I was in the wild wilderness? Also, he says, I, who for fear of hell had condemned myself to such a prison, thought myself oftentimes to be dancing among young women when I had no other company but scorpions and wild beasts. My face was pale with fasting, but my mind was inflamed with desires in my cold body. And although my flesh was half dead already, yet the flames of fleshly lust boiled within me. Do you see that? You cannot rid yourself of these desires. They are insatiable. They can't be quenched apart from the Spirit. Under the influence of the Spirit, Paul says here, you are prevented from doing the things that your flesh wants to do. Ritterboss reminds us here, there is always resistance from the flesh. Now going back to the imagery of the battle, I would ask you this. I would ask you this. And this coincides with my question earlier about when, when's the last time you actually thought about the Spirit's filling or surrendering to the Spirit. I would ask you this. Does your Christian life feel like a battle? If it doesn't, you are not seeking the ministry of the Spirit. You are not surrendering to the Spirit. If your Christian life doesn't feel like a war, according to Paul, you are absolutely not walking by the Spirit. But we see here, the Spirit opposes our fleshly desires. The Spirit opposes our fleshly desires. Secondly, the Spirit leads our path to liberty. The Spirit leads our path to liberty. This covers verses 18 through 23. Paul goes into these verses. He explains the Spirit's control and fleshly control in terms of their outcomes, their fruit, if you will. No doubt drawing from Jesus' teachings on the truth that a good tree will not bear bad fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is specified as is the rotten fruit of the flesh. Paul relates walking by the Spirit here to the law. You notice there, you may have been thrown off by it. He says, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And then just a, a little bit later, regarding the fruit of the Spirit, he says, against such things... There is no law. So he relates the law to the work of the Spirit, which was a critical issue, you understand, in Galatia, the churches of Galatia. And it's really been a critical issue for every Christian generation. But here's the, the main point that he is, he's getting across. Christ did not come to live a perfect life, fulfill the law, die in our place, and rise from the grave in order for us to remain in bondage to our sin and failure. 
Simple as that. You go back to the beginning of chapter 5. What does it say in verse 1? For freedom, Christ has set you free. Do you get it? He has set you free for freedom. Christ sets you free and grants the indwelling Holy Spirit to make that freedom a reality moment by moment. So let's consider the law in light of this. First thing we need to know, and I think he makes clear, pointing to the rotten fruit of the flesh, the law reveals flesh-driven captivity. The law reveals flesh-driven captivity, verses 19 through 21. Let me go back to 18 real quick. If you're led by the Spirit, you are not under law, okay? This is, this is where he goes. Under law indicates dominating control. So without salvation, here is where you live, under the law, under the condemnation of the law, to be specific. John 3.18, Jesus says, one of my favorite, like, verses next to the verse that everybody knows, you know, that we often forget. He says, apart from faith in Jesus, Jesus says, apart from faith in me, you are condemned already. So important, so important. This is your condition under the law. So if you only have the law, which holds you to God's standard of righteousness, then you are hopelessly condemned because your best efforts do not measure up. You know what happens right here? People who, they want to hear about the law because they're like, they're like doers. And I'm a, I'm a little bit like that. Like, give me some rules to follow, some steps to take. Give me some law and I can try to measure up to the law. And regarding God's law, we know that we've all failed. We've already expressed this. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But you know what? Even the, the especially skilled legalists among us can take the fruit of the Spirit and turn it into a new law. I know some of y'all taught in VBS or you taught in Sunday school or something like that. Once upon a time, you said, hey, look, here's nine things that we should do. <laughs> It wasn't about control to the spirit. It wasn't about spiritual life. No, it was like, love, joy, peace. You need to be these things. Some of y'all, last time you read about the fruit of the spirit, you were like, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm doing okay with patience here. I'm doing okay with self-control. I'm having a rough time with, like, loving people well, though. Do you understand that? This is not how the fruit of the spirit works. It's not nine things that you're supposed to do. So you legalists, you will take that and you'll say, hey, here, here's nine more rules on top of all the other rules I try to follow. And you will fail. The fact of the matter is, the way Paul describes it, it is all or none. It's either fruit of the spirit, fruit of the flesh. You get it? It is all or none. You look at the wording, and Kyle and I make a big deal about this often. It is fruit. Don't make the mistake, because I know you're not intending to, but it says something theologically when you say fruits of the Spirit. No, it is one fruit. One fruit. I would argue that fruit is Christ-likeness. Here's what it looks like. 
love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. You get it. It's all or none. So we get to verses 19 to 20, which lists the fruit of the flesh. And these are not for some kind of measuring stick to see how sinful you are. This is a picture of the desires of the flesh in concrete expression. So he doesn't put this out here to say, when we read it, like, well, you know, I'm not getting drunk and I'm not participating in orgies, so I'm doing okay. No, don't miss the point. Ritterboss says here, the list is by no means exhaustive. Luther adds, there is no way to capture the endless list of ways the flesh seeks gratification. So you may point out some of these in this list that you don't participate in. But let's be honest, your flesh wants to. Every time you get a glimpse of temptation, you get to see inside to what's really going on. Luther says further, it is plain then that Paul speaketh of the whole lust of the flesh and of the whole dominion of sin which stirreth even in the godly against the dominion of the spirit. So, again, if we can boil what I'm saying down to one thing, God delivered the law in part to show us a glimpse of all the ways we fall short, all the ways we rebel, all the ways we transgress. And again, I turn to the example of children. I hope my kids know that when I make reference to children, I'm also speaking of myself. So for my kids, if y'all want to know just how sinful your dad is, just ask your grandmother. Just ask your grandmother. She knows. Probably as good as anybody. But I think about, like even toddlers. Y'all know, Cal said, amen. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I think of toddlers, and I think of the way that when a law is placed before them, there's something in that sinful nature that is triggered, isn't it? You know, they go to touch something they shouldn't touch, and you say, hey, don't touch that again. You know what they're going to do? They're going to look you square in the eyes. They're going to do this number right here. <laughs> That's it. A wonderful illustration of what happens to us. God put the law before us, and you know what Paul said it did? It said, it made your sin undeniable. You thought you were okay, and then you read the law of God. You read about the character of God, and you learned by the help of the Holy Spirit, man, I'm a, a sinful wretch, and I will never measure up. But it's funny to think about kids in that way. It's funny because it is so clear how we are controlled by our flesh. God says, don't do it. We jump headlong into it. 
God says it's going to hurt you, and we say, give me more. God says it's, it's not like me, and we say, but I'm in control. There's a terrifying reality that Paul throws in here. Don't miss it either. Verse 21. He says, and things like these. So every, every way. He said, I'll warn you as I warned you before. Note here, this is not new teaching from Paul. He had told the Galatians this truth over and over again. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Does this kind of stuff characterize who you are? Paul says, if that's the case, you don't know Jesus. I want to say it a couple of different ways. Because I don't know that that is offensive to you enough if you don't know him. Not inherit the kingdom means that you are not on the list of heirs with Christ. It means you are not adopted by God. It means you are under that condemnation that we spoke of before. It means you are lost in your sin. Dead in your trespasses and sins. If this is the fruit of your life, you don't get the kingdom. You don't get the kingdom today, and you don't get the kingdom when it comes in its fullness. But believer, as we move on to this second sub-point here, I want to encourage you, if you think the law is your enemy, you don't understand its purposes in showing you Christ. The law is what shines light on all the things that damage and harm God's imagers. So the law reveals flesh-driven captivity. The control that he talks about in regard to the flesh, the fruit of the flesh here. But then their second point here about the law, the law promotes fruit delivering freedom. The law promotes fruit delivering freedom, verses 22 and 23. And then we're done for today. He says right there, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. So if you're not under law, if you're not standing condemned by the law because you're in the Spirit, then what are you under, if you will? You're under grace. Not under the law means that grace covers. So the Spirit applies the grace of Christ to our daily lives, to our situations, to our minutes of every day. In the Spirit, we're free and manifest the Christ-like life, bearing good fruit. You see in verse 23, such things, once again, this is not the complete list of the fruit of the Spirit. There's more. 
such things. There are many more things than what is listed here, but this is about the full dominion of the Spirit, to use that same language we had earlier. The law promotes fruit delivering freedom. So we need to be careful to not perpetuate a wrong view of the law. The law is good. The law is good. Here from the psalmist, 19, verses 7 through 10, just, just a snippet. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. See, if you're a believer and you don't think about the law of God in that way, you misunderstand the law, the purpose of the law. It promotes freedom. Here's what we mean. Luther says, The law can no longer accuse believers, nor pronounce the sentence of death against them. Ritterbossian, the fulfillment of the law is guaranteed now in Christ by the Spirit, and the threat of the law is lifted. So the law that once condemned us in Christ becomes our delight. So here's a good test, believer, for walking by the Spirit. Here's a good test. How do you view the law? Is the law burdensome? Is the command, even even the command to be filled with the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, is that a burden for you? If it's burdensome, any of Jesus' commands, any of the Bible's expectations for you, if those things are burdensome, then you are not walking by the Spirit. Do you, do you live your Christian life with a sense of condemnation? That is not from the Spirit. Now, don't, dis, don't misunderstand me here. This is not simply changing the way that we think. It's not simply changing our, our thinking patterns or thinking habits. This is a matter of faith in Christ. You live under that condemnation because you're not believing fully in Jesus. You're not believing fully in the fact that he paid for your sin and through faith credited you with all of his righteousness. If you see the law of the Lord as binding as a believer... You misunderstand it. You're not walking by the Spirit. I want to conclude with just this one point, pointing to the big theme behind our series. It's the communal nature of these things. You may look at these lists and you're like, 
you know, this, this, is, this is reasonable, right? Some of you that, that really trust in the arm of the flesh, you look at the list and, man, I can, I can put off these things and put on these things. I can practice these things. I can, I can follow these rules, these commands. You may even think like, yeah, yeah, I, I mean, I, gentleness, faithfulness. I'm good with these things. Self-control. I'm, I'm pretty self-controlled. But as long as you see these things only as characteristics to cultivate in yourself, you'll always think of yourself more highly than you ought. The fruit is to be enjoyed by the community and beyond. What does Jesus say? They will know you by your love for one another. The fruit is for the community. And you know what life in community does? It helps you to see all those areas where you need to rely on the Spirit. You know, the patient Christian gets angry pretty quick when provoked, revealing what appeared to be beautiful fruit to be a rotten product of the flesh. So you can isolate yourself. You can say, I'm gonna, man, I'm going to sit in my chair. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to depend on the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to go around anybody because I want to be more like Jesus. <laughs> so you missed. You missed how God has put us together for our good. Maybe we can return to this as we begin next week. But on these two things, maybe first off, if you're an unbeliever, you are deceiving yourself right now. You are deceiving yourself. If you can walk away from the gospel again, if you can walk away from the beauty of Jesus again, thinking that you have a pretty good estimation of the faith, pretty good estimation of your own heart, you are deceived. Your flesh is feeding you. But believer, I would tell you today, why do you continue to live under condemnation that is not for you? It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Why subject yourself when the Spirit, in the Spirit, you are living in freedom? See the law as God intended it. See the law as it promotes fruit, freedom in your life today. We're going to respond, believe, unbeliever, repent, repent of sin, trust in Jesus 